So, like many people, I was born. You know, preachers are told to be a bit relatable, and so I thought I'd go, I'd kick off with something pretty universal. I was born. Um, We actually have a picture of my family. That's most of my family. It's actually grown by one more baby since that picture was taken. I've got a new nephew that I've uh, sadly not yet had the chance to meet. Um, And all of you were born at some point, which means that all of you are sons or daughters. Now, that's sort of where the universality of that experience ends. because we all have different experiences of family. Some of you have great relationships with your parents, some of you don't. Uh, Some of you didn't even know your parents. Um, But, uh, you know, we, we all at some point were someone's son or daughter. And that's what I'm talking about today. This series is about the family of God. And we're going to hear about being mothers and fathers in future. We're going to hear about being brothers and sisters. But today I want to talk about what it means to be a son or a daughter in the family of God. Um, Because whatever your normal family was like, if you're a Christian, you are part of the wider family, the family of God. And if you're not a Christian, the invite is open to you today to join the family of God. Um, And so what I want to look at uh, from the perspective of sons and daughters is to to see what that means for how we relate to God and what that means for how we relate to one another within the church. So to understand how we fit into the family of God, we have to see what it says in his word. And in Galatians 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The key word here that I want to pick up on is adoption. That's how we make it into the family of God. We are adopted. And adoption means a total identity change. It means um, we're given a new name, a new family. Uh, sometimes uh, in earthly adoption, we're given a new citizenship. We are brought into this family and everything changes. It is a total, complete work. And that's what's happened to you if you're a a follower of Jesus. You've been adopted. You've been brought out of your old life and brought into this new family, the family of God. And we get to call God our father. Now, adoption is something that's very close to my heart. Um, On the surface level, it's just a great thing. It's just a really good thing to give a home to some children who desperately need it. I love it. It's giving people hope and a future. And and even just before we get into the symbolism and the meaning behind it, it's just a great thing. Something that I've often felt provoked by is that if Christians want to be champions of family life in, in the public sphere, we need to be adopting more. Now, that's a dangerous thing for a married preacher with no children to be saying, but I just, I just wanted to throw that out there as a provocation, <laughs> that, that adoption is a great thing and Christians should be at the forefront of adopting. But ad- adoption is more than just that, because like so many things, it is uh, so many good things, it is the image of something bigger. It's a, it's a representation, an earthly representation of a heavenly truth. Now, God does this a lot. Um, art. Art is an earthly representation of God's creative instinct. 
um, marriage. Marriage is great, but it's not just so that we can, you know, have a lifelong partner. It's, it's a demonstration of Jesus' love for his church. Parenting in general is brilliant, but it, it exists to represent um, God's fatherly affection for his people. And adoption is one of these things, where it's a good thing in and of itself, but it's also an image of a wider uh, heavenly truth, a bigger truth. And I've seen that firsthand in my life, and I'd like to tell you a bit about my story. So um, this is a picture of me um, as a two-year-old with my brother Robert. Um, Now, Robert was adopted from Romania um, in 1992, uh, from terrible conditions. Uh, he, uh, he was one of Ceausescu's orphans, this, this generations of orphans in America who, because of the terrible dictatorship that existed there, um, was not given that much of a chance of life. And my parents adopted him, feeling the call from God. They had four children at this point, but they felt God speak to them clearly that there were children desperately in need, and so they adopted Robert. And he... Um, came into our family, Um, he gained equal status, equal name, he became a smith, equal identity with me and my other brothers, Um, equal love from my parents, Um, and he he lived with us until his tragic death in 2017. And through that adoption story, um, I was able to witness adoption as a picture of God's love for his children of how we have been adopted. You see, uh, for one thing, I saw some amazing parenting um, firsthand. Now, Robert uh, was what you might describe as a perpetual prodigal, always uh, rejecting his parents and then always coming back. Um, If you were to ask my parents, you know, they're humans, they might... They might tell you, oh, we didn't do a great job there, but I can tell you for a fact that that's not true because I saw firsthand unconditional love. I saw forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness. I saw that he was loved as a child. Uh, And I saw things like people would ask, they they would be well-meaning, but they would ask hurtful questions about, like, what about his his real parents? And my, my, my mom would always answer, well, we're his real parents because... That's what adoption is. They were his parents, and they, they showed him uh, life within their family. He became a smith. He became my brother. And, and if my human parents can show forgiveness and unconditional love, and they can keep bringing him back into their family, he, he would reject them so many times. He would cause them all sorts of trouble. And yet, they would always find new ways to forgive him. They would always dig deep and, and, and show him love, and they would always welcome him back into their home whenever he came back. You get that with God. You get that love, that unconditional love, that forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness from God. You know, the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. That's what you get when you enter into the family of God. You're a co-heir. You get equal status with Jesus. You get to say that you are the son of the king. That's why we're king's church here. We're the church of the king. Incidentally, that's also why the apostrophe is really important in our name. We are the church of the king. 
And I think the other reason that adoption shows us the love of God for his people is that it's really messy. You know, it's a complicated, long, drawn-out process to adopt anyone. It's not something anyone enters into lightly. It takes great personal sacrifice. And the person that you adopt will bring in stuff from the life before you brought them into the family. They carry that with them, sometimes for the rest of their lives. But the parents deem it worth the struggle. They decide that it's worth the sacrifice because they want to show love to this person. They want to bring them into the family. It's worth it. Does that sound familiar? It's it's messy. For God, it required great sacrifice to bring you into his family. He sacrificed his own son, Jesus, so that you could be brought into his family. It was a process that actually took thousands of years before Jesus was sent to die for us. And it's a process that's probably taken several years in your life for God to to call you home, to call you into his family. And there's a strong chance that you're bringing stuff from your old life into this new family, stuff that you might find hard to shake. But God deemed it worth the struggle. He deemed it worth the sacrifice to bring you into his family. I'm telling you, if you want a fresh angle on God's love for you, just look into adoption. Hear stories of adoption. Read more about it because it's such a beautiful picture of how much God loves you. The the lengths that he would go to to give you his family name, to give you his status in the family of God. And this should totally change our perspective of our relationship with God. Because it, it means that we have security within his family. Total security. You know, at five years after Robert was adopted, we actually went back to Romania. But he really struggled to relate to that place and that time in his life because he had been so fundamentally changed. He, he, he was a British now. He was not a, a citizen of Romania. He had a British passport. He couldn't remember that life. And, and his life had been so different in the time that had lived with us that he he had a new name he spoke a new language he wasn't the son of someone over in Romania he was the son of Graham and Sue he was the brother of Nathaniel and Barnaby and Joel and Simeon if you've been adopted into the family of God today know that you have been that fundamentally changed and it's such a complete work You've been given that surname. All of the times that Robert rejected my parents, he he never stopped being a smith. He never stopped being my brother. And I I felt as I was writing this that God wants to speak to some of you today who perhaps have been drifting away from God during this time. And now you feel insecure about coming back to him. You feel insecure about that relationship. You think, God doesn't want me to come back to him. I've, I've neglected that relationship for so long now. And he's saying, no. You are my son. You are my daughter. Come back to me. I will show you love. I will bring you back into my home. And if you're not a Christian today, if you've not given your life to follow Jesus here today, that offer's open to you. And actually, the work has been done. The sacrifice has been paid. All you have to do is call out to God and call him Father. Say, God, I need you. I want to come into your family. 
and he will bring you in. Now, the primary way that the family of God is worked out is through the church. The church is the expression of his family here on earth. And so we get the second image of the love of God through the relationships that we have with other people in the church community. And we all have different roles to play. Uh, In 1 Timothy 5, it says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So God is, uh, Paul is explicitly saying here that the relationships you have in the church should be a parallel of familial relationships. So even if you had a rubbish family relationship, you've been brought into this new family where you will find brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, and, and sons and daughters. You know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. If you didn't know your parents, you can find new parents within the church. So what does this mean for us as a church right now? Well, I I think we have an opportunity to succeed where uh, culture is actually failing pretty badly. Now, I'm fascinated by the differences between generations. As I say, I lead the students, so if we want to just give it quick labels, I'm a millennial leading a bunch of Gen Z people. So there's a difference there. And I'm led by... um, Uh, Dan, who's Gen X, and I'm led by Matt, who's a boomer. Um, And, you know, so so I'm really interested in these differences and what makes us tick. But what culture wants to do right now is use those differences to create division. And it's setting generations against one another. And we in the church actually have the opportunity to, to do something different. Now, we cannot give in to culture's uh, aim to bring strife between these generations. And as my topic is uh, sons and daughters, not fathers and mothers, we're going to hear about that later on. I want to speak uh, quite specifically to young and young-ish people now. Um, so uh, if you're old enough to say remember four economic recessions in the UK, you can tune out for a bit if you want. Um, firstly, con- congratulations for finding the live stream in the p- first place. Good job. Um, but just... I'm going to speak to to the youngsters now, and I I, I count myself among them. Um, Younger folks, you are being told very uncritically to despise older generations. Uh, Your social media, your films, um, your videos that you're consuming, they're all setting you up to, to just very uncritically think of the older generation as the generation that have let you down, Um, that are the reason for all of the problems in this world right now, and that, uh, you know, the future belongs to the young. And and you hear lots of inspiring things like that, but the the message beneath that is to actually despise the older generation. And I want you to say, I want to say this with total clarity, reject that thinking at all costs. It is from the devil. And actually, the church is supposed to exist as a huge, multi-generational family where friendships exist between uh, boomers and Gen X and Gen Z and millennials, where we all love one another and serve one another. And, And the Bible tells you quite explicitly to treat older people as mothers and fathers, which is a really good way of um, thinking about it because, 
you know, with your parents, yes, there will be times when they exasperate you, but you treat them with love and honor and respect. And so very quickly, I just want to look at, if we're seeing older people as mothers and fathers, I just want to look at three things that should maybe shape how we view them. The first thing is you have to honor them, honor older people, because it's one of the commandments, honor your mother and father. And so if the parallel in the church is that older people are mothers and fathers, we need to honor them too. We need to show them respect. As a simple message, but perhaps one that we need to listen to freshly again. And if already you're thinking, but what about, then just let, let it sit with you. Before you move on to the whatabouts, just let it sit with you. Am I honoring older people in the church? And I want you to think about what that looks like for yourself. Second thing, we need to listen to their wisdom. And again, the temptation that culture and the devil is trying to hold out to you is just like, no, go your own way. We're, we're going to do things differently to them. We, we need to throw away the wisdom of the old people and forge our own path. Don't listen to that. Old people and even slightly older people have so much wisdom that they can give you. Um, th- this is me at the ripe old age of 30 this is my only piece of wisdom which is listen to older people than me (laughs) it might actually take a bit of swallowing your pride but I, I guarantee that whatever you're experiencing right now they have some truth that they can speak into that because they've experienced much more than you there's nothing new under the sun to them um I find that some of the uh, older people that I speak to in church relate a lot more to that bit of Ecclesiastes where it says there's nothing new under the sun because they just see uh, cycles of people going through the same things over and over again and they see what stands the test of time and what doesn't. So honor people, older people, listen to them because they have wisdom and truth to speak into your life. And this is perhaps a slightly strange one because... There's not that many people in Kings, really, for whom this is true at the moment. But the third thing is, when the time comes, we should care for them. Our parents cared for us in our youth, and I actually believe that it is our duty for us to care for them as they enter their their later years. And I think that's true for the church as well. I think a church community is one where when the time comes, the young are caring for the old where we can actually combat the scourge of loneliness that exists in Edinburgh by showing love and care and devotion to the older people in our church community. And how different is that going to look to the culture around us? What is that going to say to a culture that thrives on division when we are showing love and friendship across generations, where we're caring for people that we have no blood relation to, but they're our family nonetheless? So honor them, listen to them, care for them. Church, we have the chance to do something different right now. We have the chance to to model something that defies the culture around us with, with friendships that look like family. And it may feel like that's difficult right now because of all of the, the sort of good, healthy divisions that are put in place where we need to stay stay distance from one another. 
And we do need to abide by those, but there are ways around that. And in fact, I've had one of the great things about being a student leader is I've had people saying, look, I know we can't have students into our house right now, but we can meet up with them for coffee. And so students, there are people in the church right now who are willing to say, hey, come meet some other people in the church. Come be part of this church community. Don't neglect community right now. Don't neglect this beautiful multi-generational family. Find ways to still care for one another and be cared for. Build these friendships that don't really exist anywhere else in the culture. And let's demonstrate the love of God through this beautiful thing that he calls church.